Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of Certified Fresh. I'm your host on this podcast, Brian Adamsamania the first. This is a really exciting episode for me because I'm joined today by two great guests. With Line Drive going through some significant changes in our ownership structure this year, a lot of people have some questions. As I jet my way around the country, working with some of my favorite people in the world, I'm almost always asked, hey, you're pretty keyed in, what's this Michael guy like? Obviously, with change comes curiosity, which is why I'm so glad to have the man himself, Michael Abdella, as my first guest on this episode. We get into it. What was he like as a kid? How his school and work lives have progressed, as well as his decision to leave it all behind and start a search capital firm. But what I'm sure you're all interested is really to hear his thoughts on why line drive and what's the vision look like for the future. Overall, it's just a really great conversation. Then we continue on with our series, Get to Know a Newbie. For this segment, we leave the shores of Lake Michigan and head to the beaches of Southern California. David Campos is one of our newer solutions consultants, backfilling the role from Dudley. David breaks down his industrial background, why he loves working with end users, and of course, what is the best freeway to sit in LA traffic for hours. And now, enjoy the latest. Sit back, turn up the volume, and stay fresh. All right, joining me today for our first segment. This is a this is a long time coming. I am uh, I'm excited. I think for for our listeners, this is a um, uh, I would say a special treat, but but someone who there's a little aura of mystery about somebody who's who's hyped. This is probably <laughs> one of my biggest fans, which I enjoy. <laughs> He's the one who actually gives me feedback and, and, and sends messages. So, uh, welcome to Certified Fresh, Michael Abdella. Hey, thanks for having. You're telling me that. After each one of your shows, you're not getting celebrities and people reaching back out to you saying, hey, I loved your show. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guys from Smartless text me all the time, like Will and Jason. They're just like, what's up? This is a great, great pod. So, you know, I'm like, likewise. I'm thinking Oprah. She's <laughs> got a place in Chicago. I'm sure she thinks by. And... Oh, yeah. She helps, she helps me tune I mean, you're the, the audio. Deal. You're the... Is she? <laughs> okay. No, this is cool. Awesome. Like, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm gl- yeah. We're glad to have you on. You know, it, it, obviously, it's been uh, a little over six months since the uh, four months. All right, is that yeah four? It, it just it, time yeah. flies. I guess it's true. It's been so. It's been four months yeah. since uh, Mav Capital it has come like into the uh, come into the line drive world and. You know, um, I, I, as I tell you, uh, being on the road and, and working with our team a lot, there's a sort of like the, the line drive counseling session. And usually so, at some point in someone's front seat, I always get the, you know, who's Michael? What's Michael like? Have you, have you guys, like, have you sat down with him? Have you met him? And it's like, yeah, yeah, Michael's great. So I think this is a good opportunity to, <laughs> to get you on and, and, and talk about it and give um, the, the greater line drive. But, you know, the other people I know are manufacturers listen to this and, and other people some sense of um, who's Michael and, and what's, uh, what's his thoughts and, and how do we grow line drive together so thanks for being here excited yeah i'm happy to be a part of it long time listener first time caller first time caller first time uh teamser i guess <laughs> participant, participant. Yeah. <laughs> so i always want to start i always start like i always start from the beginning right what, what was what was michael like as a kid what was like little michael like a, a big baseball yeah, guy michael. bike rider bmxer skateboarder no no no, no, none of that. None of that. Uh, more of a, a, a mathlete than an athlete. Um, 
Oh, I like always that. like math and <laughs> uh, math and math and nature. Those are the two things I really cared about. I also, um, you know, growing up, I always had these side hustles, right? I never had not like a long mowing business, but um, I do remember I I got into the business of like buying and trading cards, anything from like baseball cards, Pokemon cards, anything. I always was like the guy who knew who had what and who had, who wanted what. I don't remember ever like making any money off of it, but uh, that was always kind of my introduction to entrepreneurship, I guess you could say. Right. It was just like not a, uh, not a profitable side hustle, but at least a hustle in general. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was just fun. Right. I remember always getting in trouble because of uh because of the activity and talking to during class and all that stuff. So yeah, that was, that was me as a, that was me growing up. That's, a, that's interesting. I like a, the, the kid who, who knew what was, uh, what was going on and inquisitive. So you, you're from Michigan. I'm from Michigan. You yep. grew up there and, and you went, uh, you went to college there when you were coming out of high school. Like what, what was the plan? I, I'm always interested because everyone, everyone always has this plan and then and it's the things kind of divert from there. What, what was the initial, I'm going to college. I'm going to be a stockbroker, a firefighter, a, a policeman. Yeah. Well, see, my plan actually never got diverted because I didn't really have a plan. <laughs> I, I, um, I, my parents didn't go to college, so I didn't get a lot of, they wanted to help, but they just didn't know how to help, right? So at, at, when I graduated high school, you know, I, I did fine in, fine in school, um, just okay, pretty much. And I didn't have a plan. I actually applied to some colleges, got accepted to a few, but didn't really accept any of their offers. And my first job, like, right out of high school was selling Aflac, Aflac insurance. Uh, I, I had a friend who did it or a friend of a friend who did it and made a lot of money from what I thought as an 18 or 17 year old. <laughs> and so at 18, I got my insurance license and started selling Aflac insurance. And I remember making like a really big sale, probably three or four months in and hating every minute of it. <laughs> I just did not like the lifestyle. I was like, you know, working with these people who I just, I felt like that was not a career for me. So uh, a good friend of mine was going to Western Michigan University and two weeks before he was about to move in, he's like, hey, you should go. And I applied, got in and moved to Kalamazoo. All right. <laughs> so that was my, that was my focus on college. Yep. Interesting. So you, you were like, I'm going to go into the real world. I got in the real world. I do not like this. <laughs> Let's hit the pause button. Let's try something else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's a, it's a good experience. So you went, you went to uh, uh, Western, Western Michigan. You said, yeah, that's right. In Kalamazoo. And so at, coming, Michigan. coming yep. out, coming mm-hmm. out of that, um, you sort of went back into the insurance world. I did. Yeah. So I had a few jobs after, prior to getting back into the insurance, but right. insurance always will have my heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I had internships at, at, when I was at Western. I worked for Coca-Cola, and it was a really fun job. Um, uh, I also worked for Stryker, Stryker Instruments, a medical device company, and then a company called Parker Hannafin. It's like an, an engineering company. And they were all fun, but it, it was all sales-related. I studied sales in undergrad. But um, you know, the, the offers postgraduate were you know, not super exciting to me. And then a company called ADP, uh, it's a payroll software company, and they came. They I had a lot of lot of friends who had worked there and went grew up the ranks there, and so I started at AEP right out of school. And it was 
I mean, it was, you know, 100% activity, business to business selling. Here's a list of businesses in your territory and go and try and sell them payroll software. Um, and that was fun. It was a fun job. Uh, uh, but I did get back into insurance about, uh, about the last eight to 10 years I was at Huntington Bank. It was a division of uh, Huntington Insurance, a division of Huntington Bank. So I think that's interesting going back to the, the part about uh, studying sales in college because those, those who've started at Line Drive in the past, like, I don't know, four to six years know my whole speech of, you don't learn sales in college. You know, they teach you how to be an accountant. They teach you to be a doctor. <laughs> well, and then somebody, somebody inevitably raised their hand and were like, well, there are programs out there that, that, that teach sales. So I think it's, it's good. Uh-oh. So, so well, you're exhibit in the, A. Yep, exhibit Michigan. A. Mike, Western Michigan teaching sales, and, and we can talk about that. But that's cool. So you've had that background, but that that, that is – you know, you talk about being a kid and, and knowing the hustle and, and trading the cards, but the sales side and understanding who needs products and who wants products, like that's the, that's sort of fundamental to your background. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. I'm, un- I'm com- But I do agree with you though. I mean, I, I will agree with you. Like you, you learn like the mechanics of sales at Western. They teach you the mechanics, but you have to learn by cutting your teeth at the job, right? It's, a, it's an activity. Like, you learn through repetition and repetition. Every single one's going to be different. Like, there's, you can't write in a textbook how to sell. I right. get it. But That's fair. There's processes and negotiation tactics you can use, things like that. So, yeah, so, so you, come out of, you come out of college and you're, you're working a few different roles and you're at ADP and you're at Huntington. What was, what was one of the things, what was one of the foundational things you learned as a early 20s or mid-20s Michael? What was, uh, what's, what's something that stuck with you? Mm-hmm. And so I had the privilege of working in like working in insurance. There's not a lot of young people working in insurance. So I had a lot of people who were extremely like, had very successful careers, 30, 40 year careers in insurance. And, uh, and so I got a mentor with them and, and be, be a, had them as a mentor to me. Um, so I got a lot of wisdom, right? And the two things I would say that really stuck with me that are my, some of my favorite lines is well done is better than well said with, you know, performance trumps, you know, elegant speaking. Uh-oh. I love that. I live that. I think I've had that tattooed on my body at some point. Um, and the next is the, uh, the African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Those two things are kind of in my DNA. Wow, that, that's very insightful. And as a professional bullshitter, I'm gonna uh, maybe like not, not accept the first one. Oh, now, now I have now I have to mark this explicit because I swore. But uh, <laughs> I like I like that. Well, well right, done, well, well done, well done is better than well said. I like that. That's that's a fair thing. You know, to sort of put your actions yeah. out there, which which is good. Um, I would say selling insurance has uh, got to be one of the harder things because it's such an intangible. You know, there, there's nothing physical about it it's a, you know it's it's a piece of paper you get once a year in the mail and then you write a check back it's it was commercial insurance so you're writing you're underwriting tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in programs and right with a how do you ensure the risk that something might happen right <laughs> there was, but i also did health insurance and health insurance was you know you have actuarial data but you're right i mean at the end of the day it's a not a product. It's not something physical. It's a concept, an idea. Right. Yeah. So that, that's got to be tough. That's going to be, you know, probably one of the, one of the I loved sales. it. I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely love it. I still do. Uh, yeah. So you're in, the, you're in the insurance game and you think, hey, I need to go back to school. 
I want to learn more. What uh, what gave you the push? To, what gave you the push to go to Michigan? What what was the what was the push to get the MBA? Yeah, so I I so when I was working at ADP, it was business to business sales. I was you know twenty something, didn't know shit. Right, I thought I was a smart kid. Then I go into you know in the in the working world, and you're like, wow, I don't know shit. Right, <laughs> and uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to swear so you're not the only one. Thank you. To be on the explosive side. So yeah, I got you. Uh, but I, I, I was able to, you know, working in business to business, you're speaking with business owners. And I had, you know, by the time I left, I had over a thousand customers, business owners that I had personally connected with, sold, et cetera, et cetera. And a few of them were really good mentors to me. And they all, something they had all in common was they had graduate degrees and they really encouraged me to go back and get one. And I'm like, well, I'm doing well here. I'm accelerating my career. Um, you know, I've moved up the ranks at Huntington before I even started going to Michigan. But again, they kept pushing. They said, you don't know what you don't know. And, uh, so I, I applied to Michigan, you know, University of Michigan for their MBA program, mainly because they had a, a part-time program. So I didn't have to quit work. I didn't want to like quit making money and take on this huge expense. Right. And sure. then like wait two years to just, you know, basically, you know, learn in a classroom uh, what how business fundamentally should be done. I love the part-time program that I took at Michigan because uh, because I could learn something in the classroom the previous night, and the next day I would be able to apply it in a leadership setting, a group setting, or a sales setting. So, did the part-time program, uh, and and I was really you know, able to pay my way through the program, and I was really excited to be able to be able to do that. So that's awesome. That's uh, yeah. I, I think for a lot of people in that that younger segment is, you know, do I take the time? Do I stop what I'm doing and full time go to school, or, or try to balance it and make it work? And I know that that's a lot of for for friends who've done it. That's a, that's a lot of work to to continue to to do your regular job as well as learn and and take classes and study and be part of groups and all that stuff. So as you're going through it, you know, you, you're getting the experience. Is that where the the foundations of uh, Michael Abdella? search capital magnet come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. So actually my second class, I remember learning about a search fund or law, what the basic law of capital is. Um, and I, you know, it was, I guess that those mentors were right. You don't know what you don't know. I had never <laughs> heard of this business model before. And it, they were like, you listen, you, you, you grow businesses where you are today. Why not take an active lead and owning a business? as well. So that was like, well, why wouldn't I do that? And so that was in my second class. And I took the next probably 12 or 15 classes around entrepreneurship finance. And yeah, I was focused around, okay, I'm going to start a search fund after I get my degree. I graduated and then spent another two years working and then started a search <laughs> sure. fund because again, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a, you're, you're, you're jumping two feet in, you know, taking a big pay cut, and not having a salary for a number of years until you make an acquisition. Or a partnership, so it was a it was a big big move. So that, that's really cool. Like the, the second class you take, you you learn this concept, and you think this is something yeah. I like, and then and then you can tailor and focus yeah. the rest of your degree around that. That's a that's that's definitely um, that's interesting, and probably um, I would say made made the whole process much more. Uh, I don't say tolerable is not the right word, but you're probably more, much more excited learning things. That like, hey, I'm going to apply this. I'm going to use this and, and do it. Exactly. 
So yeah, you're not just taking a class to check a box. That's exactly right. Right. So you you talk about search capital or search funds. Let's talk about that a little. This is a new term for a lot of people who are listening. It's not something that that's very popular out there. But uh, I, I know it's it's grown over the past decade. It's something that that has really um, come on in sort of the investment world or the. Um, you know, the capital world, if you will. So uh, can you give us like some insight, just the, the basic foundations of what does is, what is a search fund or search capital mean? Yeah, so a search fund or search capital. So search fund is um, basically a single uh, acquisition vehicle. And basically you, it's an individual who's managing a search fund, i.e. myself. You assemble a group of investors to back you, to back me as I go out and find a single company to go out and operate, acquire and operate. And so there's a few different versions of this. There's a search fund, there's private equity, which is a lot more common. You see it in the news all over and over again, big anti-private equity. But uh, there's there's a lot of different vehicles that uh, serve to help invest in, in managing grow businesses. So a search fund is just very specific to one single business based on one single person and their background and skills. And you have you, I get to choose who my investors are. Okay, and the idea is that they're they're investing. I would say investing in Michael, but they're saying that hey, Michael, yeah. we we trust Michael that is going to find the right vehicle to drive this investment and and you know hopefully yep. obviously give us give us a return, but also you know build on that and, and, and find that growth. Totally. Yep, that's exactly right. No, no pressure there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no pressure. And that's by fine. the way, you know, you get a sixty-seven percent pay cut, and right. you know, no benefit. Right. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's risk-reward. Yeah, I, and, and I'll get into that in a second. I, I do want to you know, highlight you talk about private equity, and I know one of the first times that you and I met and we sat down, and I think I pitched sort of the same thing off of you of, you know, hey, we hear a lot about private equity, and there's this sort of undercurrent of, you know, venture capital or whatever that means, and, and you were pretty clear in your thoughts of, of a search, search fund versus private equity and venture capital. Can you talk a little bit about the differences and, and where your head's at in that space? Yeah, so, so venture capital is more like startup type stuff, right? Venture capital is you're going to take a bet on something. I'm going to take a bet that Facebook's going to grow to what it is today, right? Or you know, you, you, I'm going to take a bet that this, you know, dog walking application is going to be something five years from now and it could fizzle out or it could do really well. About 10% of venture capital succeeds, right? So very low. Private equity is a bit different where it's like I got to, I know a lot of high net worth people or I know a lot of places that have a lot of institutional funds and I'm going to work to deploy capital wherever I see fit. So maybe I get, you know, a hundred or $500 million from, you know, these different investors who are, don't know who I am, don't know who the business I'm investing in, but they just trust that I need to do something with my money. So they gave it to me. Right. <laughs> so I got a hundred million bucks and I go put 10 million here, 5 million there. Uh, this guy answered my call. So I'll give him, you know, six and a half million. It's really, you know, in, in my opinion, private equity generates good returns. It's, you know, it's good for the people who are doing it. But in my opinion, it's not a good steward for small to medium-sized businesses. You're not caring about the – I mean, so where I come in is handpick the individual business, do a lot of research, find the right fit that aligns with me. The business owners want to, you know, want to take the business to the next level or they, have a, they really care about where the company's going to go. Uh, and, and so that's, that's where I come in. It's just a small version of private equity. It's a lot more intimate. Right. I think private equity is more, yeah, to your point, it's more of just let's dump some money in here, figure out what's there. How do we 
reap return quickly and maybe not always for the benefit of the greater good? It's not all that, but <laughs> a lot of it is, right? Like I have a lot of friends who are in private equity and they're doing well and they're doing good too. It's not just doing right. well for themselves or doing good for the businesses. And it, but I would say it's a, exception not the norm in I'm my just, opinion i'm just putting my socialist so, hat thing. on you know my like whatever like it's all bad yeah. get out of here like you know but, but that's fine, that's fine. It's, <laughs> you know, these people so um you, you talked about a little bit you know obviously you, you go to you get your mba you come out and you're back to work and you're doing that and you decide hey i want to take this i want to do this i want to make it happen so part of it you quit yeah. your job right you're, yeah so yeah, as you mentioned, you, you quit your job and you say, okay, I got to have to do this because, um, you know, you need investors. And so you need to, to pivot to that. So as you, as you start Mauve, what was your, what was your pitch? Give me, give me, the, give me your uh, elevator speech. As far as how, how do you talk to investors? What, was, what did oh. that sound like? Uh, you know what? Um, I, I knew a lot of the investors because being, I, I actually interned with two other search funds when I was at Michigan. So I met one search fund who acquired a business down in Florida, Micah Smith, great mentor of mine. Um, I got to meet some of his board members and his investors as we, cause I helped him with the deal. And, you know, he, we, we talked a lot about after he operated the business. So it really didn't have much of an elevator pitch. I met a few investors that really, I mean, got to know and got to like a lot. And, and they met, they introduced me to other people and it was just, it was a really kind of a fun process, but it, the pro, I, I was thinking the investment process of raising capital was going to take months, and it took like 10 days. <laughs> right. So I was like, oh, shit, I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was no, like, oh, let's see how this is going to no, go. No backing out of and, that point. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I could always not take the money, but yes. absolutely. I was like, hey, these people all bet on, you know, believe in me, and uh, I believe in myself, so... You got to do it. I love the parallels that I, I talk to, to new hires a lot about, you know, sort of, I would say your reputation, but when you go out and work with someone in the field, one of our distributor partners and you have a great call and you bring them business, they were so quick to talk to other people. And, uh, I just got off the phone with an SC earlier. The same thing was like the word of mouth was like, Hey, I worked with this guy. He sent an email to people. All of a sudden I've got all this stuff coming in. So similar in this world that, you know, you've got these investors, wow. they say, Hey, I know, I know this guy, I trust him and, and I'm going to back. And that, that, I don't say word of mouth, but that, uh, I guess the, the reputation, uh, drives a lot of that coming in. Um, I know you you made a right. you made a joke to me early on. You said getting capital is not hard. Getting the right capital is the hard part. So what were, right. what were you looking for That's in an investor? Exactly. Like what, what was what was an ideal investor for you? Because you know anyone could give you hey, hey Michael here's a hundred million dollars. But what did you want? Right. No. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a I'm not one of those like deep mathematicians that's going to run like a background on everybody's portfolio and want to invest with the investors at the highest return. Right. My number one criteria was like, can I get along with this guy? Is this guy going to be an asshole? Or is he going to be a pain? You know, he's going to, is he going to be fun? Is he going to be fun to work with? Like, is he going to have the energy to go out and, you know, roll up the sleeves or her sleeves and stand next to me as we grow up a single business. So first one was alignment. Um, that was big. The second one was, do they, what do they prioritize? Do they prioritize investing in the business and the people? Do they prioritize just maximizing returns? What, where are they, where's their head at? So, um, it was really important for me to find someone who says, listen, it's like you invest in the people and the right things are going to happen after that. 
that's that's my mentality. That's my investor's mentality, and I made sure to select investors who cared about that. Because at the end of the day, um, in a line drive and investing in this in the lower middle market business, your stewards are all the people here, right? You have sixty something people at line drive. Your stewards for their livelihood, their families, their friends, and you really want to care about the people. So, alignment to the background. Can you get along with them? Do they care about you know? Do they care about the people? And then really, where's their money coming from? Is it coming from a <laughs> You know, a ten or fifteen funds, or is it coming from? Hey, I've ran fifteen businesses myself, or ten businesses myself, and you know, it's my own personal worth. That I prioritize that. All right, it's it's not like money funneling through the bada bing or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not money right. laundering for yep. stuff. No, this is this is solid when, capital. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, I mean, I knew that they earned their wealth because of saying they they worked to earn it. Okay. It wasn't uh, investing in other businesses and then growing their business because of they invested in other businesses. It's like, hey, I've been in that seat as a CEO. I've grown a business, and here's here, you know, here's here's some life lessons for you. No, oh, that's cool. That's that's that that that's probably a great consideration, especially as you know the expectations that come out of the understanding what it takes to grow a business, and and you know, not that everything is is. Um, I guess depending Sunshine on sunshine and rainbows, yeah. yeah. Right. There's there are some. Yeah. Thank you. There's some. There's some. There's some speed bumps along the way or, or whatnot. So that's um, exactly right. You know yep. So as you're going in, you create mauve and you're there, and you've got the money. You've got the you've got the like a the, the bag of cash in hand. I can't imagine as you start. And I, I know you've <laughs> talked. Uh, you've, you've talked in other places about you know just the the process and how many businesses you call and reach out. But I can't imagine that like industrial manufacturer rep group is like the first thing that like you that came to mind as far as where you want to invest so what were some of the other yeah. uh, what were some of the areas where you, you know you started and thought you know, this this is where i'm probably going to go down the path what, what were those those industries that you were seeking out yeah i mean i didn't know of what an industrial sales rep was when i started when i when i came across line drive right i mean now knowing what line drive is it's a perfect fit but at the time i had no idea this industry really existed i I can relate. I have a lot of people who work at friends who work at Tintas and at Granger and Fast and all, et cetera. But I didn't know that the manufacturer up space existed. So no, I didn't, I didn't specifically seek out line drive specifically. Right. However, I did come across line drive because I was looking, I, I love sales organizations. Like I have a background in sales, studied it. I lived it. I believe it's the root of all business that nothing in business happens until something is sold. So I love sales. I had to have a background in sales. Um, not tech, did not focus on technology. I don't understand it. Pre-revenue or pre-profit businesses. I have friends that do it. God bless them. I can't do it. I can't <laughs> do the business in the tech space. So, and then I also want to be able to see the impact that you make, right? Like you see what you're doing. You, you, you see you're increasing sales and you know what you're selling. So you're not working in the background. You're not doing a service base. You're, you see the physical product. So those three things are what I prioritize. I mean, you're right. I looked at, I had over a thousand conversations with business over, owners in a year and a half. And I looked at probably 17,000 businesses. Right. And so of those thousands, I cared about the business, cared about the industry, cared enough about the company to have a conversation with them. So it was a lot. I mean, I had to I really handpick. It was, you had, you're only going to do it once. So right, that's- uh, you got to be good. Theoretically, yeah. so, so coming into Line Drive or, or meeting, you know, starting this conversation with Line Drive, what, what initially drew you? You know, you have those pieces. Was there something that stood out? Like, hey, this is this is piquing my interest. Yeah, I mean, once I so I spoke with uh, the first conversation I remember was with JJ and Kevin Mullins, 
and they were explaining to me how line, like the background of line drive and you know, business model and okay, this makes a lot of sense. I get it. You know, art source sales and marketing services. You know, you provide for services. I get it. But we got into some kind of deeper conversation, and we started speaking about the customers that we're working with. And I was like, well, those are some big names. And then we started talking about you know, the org chart and the people involved in the organization and you know their backgrounds. And I was like, you got a lot of rock stars working here. This guy's got a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Oh, Z. I've heard of Z before. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're talking about certified fresh. That's line drive. That's line drive. Oh, Jesus. Um, so really, it was the customers, the tenure, of the customers, the, the people, the talent here, and then the reputation. I mean, we interviewed all the customers, interviewed some manufacturers, some of the uh, some of the distributor partners, and you know, blind interviews. They explicitly mentioned line drive. So you know great reputation in the market, which creates tons of opportunity for growth. No, it's awesome. So as coming on and, and, and joining on and coming on board is the leader of Line Drive Unlimited Holdings. I love it. Um, what were some of your initial <laughs> insights? So as you start getting into the business, you, 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 know, you, you have the 30,000 foot view, you're interviewing people, and then you're coming in and, and, and saying as you're coming in, what, was, what did you see and, what, and how did that, um, I guess, align with what your thoughts were? Yeah, I mean, it was those two things. It was that it was the relationships with customers, right? And like the relationships you have, like, and it, and it was completely validated over the last ninety days when I got a chance to go on the the JJ Road trip, <laughs> basically living out of a suitcase for two weeks or three weeks. But uh, meeting all of our manufacturing customers, like they all want to do more with us, right? They all they all see the value of Line Drive. They all want to continue to grow our relationship. They want to invest together. It's great, and that's. I mean that's that's the foundation of a great business, and so and but 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 further is like the things that we're doing. You and I, you invest in a your time in a in a podcast and certified fresh. We have a ton of people here at Line Draft as we continue to grow the company that can take on those next leadership roles that can help grow the company alongside it. It's not going to take outside you know outside talent to help. We can we can grow from within. So the talent here is great. Right, so that that's a that good good segue there. I, I, I've heard you say this a couple times, and, and I think I want to elaborate on it. You, you have this saying: uh, "We're not trying to reinvent the wheel; I just want the wheel to go faster." Can you talk on that? Yeah, what's the foundation on that? Exactly. Okay, so so I didn't partner with a company because I really wanted to buy or partner with a company that was already extremely stable, really strong. And that's why I partnered with it because line drive because of what it is today, mm-hmm. right? And, and what line drive currently is today. So reinventing the wheel or like changing what it is today is like completely counterproductive to what I'm trying to do. Like if, rule number one: do no harm, right? Do not <laughs> if if you if do not do not decline, right? Just right. Continue at least stabilize. It's fine. But, uh, you know, it's really just making investments in what we're already doing today, adding more people, adding more resources to what we're doing today to make the wheel go faster or increase the size of the pie or whatever type of analogy you want to use. But mm. it's not saying, hey, we're going in northeast and we need to go northwest. It's like, hey, we're going northeast. Let's just continue to go northeast just faster. Just faster. And I like that point of, you know, helping, helping develop the people and the, the resources that are here. You know, how do we take? That's exactly it. How do we take the team yeah. that's here and, and, and work together to be? I don't want to say more effective, but more impactful. I don't know what the right word, but that that were our contributions and the, the way that we're running the business and, and developing. You know, from from 
someone who starts 90 days in to people who've been here for 15, 20 years. That's exactly it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of change of how the sort of the companies, you know, as you think, you think I don't, we're not a family business, right? But you know, it's always been this thing of like the six founders, and you know, even even recently it was like the four founders, and there's always this this thing there. But we, we've definitely shifted a little bit because we're not four four guys who've put their sweat and, and equity into this. It's we're now owned by investors. I mean, fun. So, um, right. what are some? Yep. I mean, what are some of the changes that are to be expected from that? Is there that much of a difference here? Are we are we going to see or experience something different? Yeah, I think you asked. You know, you're you're like, what's the vibe going to be? Right. What's what's right. how's, how's, how's the question. vibe? <laughs> I love the vibe. That's an Anthony Christie shout out. You know, like, what's the vibe? <laughs> um, I mean, so we, it's a, we're going to be we're a growing company. Right, we haven't had a lot of growth the past few years, but at least three x our growth rate this year through or last year. So we're a growing company, and it's fun to be part of a growing company, right? You know that there's it's, it's, there's a future, and that we're investing in ourselves, and we're going to try new things and get better. So I would say that from a vibe standpoint, right, everybody has the vibe, and I'm going to beat that word to death, nice. I swear. But anyway, so. Uh, be be better tomorrow than what you were today. Have that type of mentality. Like, hey, I want to have a an idea of how to improve, right? I don't want to just be idle. I want to keep getting better tomorrow, like focus on myself so I can get better tomorrow than what I am today. That type of vibe. And with that comes from being able to give feedback, being able to receive feedback, but knowing that it's all helpful. It's we're all on the same page. We're not trying to criticize. We're trying to help. So I can't speak of the vibe prior, but uh, <laughs> right, you ideal here. vibe is one that's like, yeah, I guess, know, open to ideas and opinions and respectful playing as a team. Like that. Yeah, em- embrace change a little bit more. And and, and there's no. Yeah, I, I've been I've been here forever. I, again, I've been I've been here 16 years, so I'm I'm probably part of the old regime or whatever that is. But you know, having the <laughs> having the understanding that you know, with Mav and the investors and, and the people that are backing that one, you've got insight because you've got a board and you have people who are coming from different backgrounds who can ask those questions, but also that, you know, maybe there's a little bit more willingness to make investments or I don't say take risk because that's not fair, but, um, you know, make calculated investments and make calculated moves to help expand and grow the business. That's right. And, and I do want to emphasize though, like ideas aren't all going to come from myself or the investor or the board. I mean, most of the ideas are going to come from all of us, like, you know, yourself and, whether it's our field team saying have an idea of how we can grow in a different market or with a new manufacturer, a different distributor, or could be our finance team improving on uh, internal reporting or whatever it is. Like it's everybody that, you know, have that kind of culture of, Hey, let's, let's share it ways together. And I, in finance know how to improve, you know, someone in the SC world or the SC as an idea for someone in HQ world, like share. That's what we want. I think that that's really cool. And in, in working, you uh... know, I don't know, for, for people who are listening who don't know, for, for the three people outside of Line Drive who are listening to this, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time with people who are new in the organization who come and, and ask a lot of questions. And it's me, I think it's really refreshing. You know, why don't we do this? Or have we thought of this? And, and there, there's some of that there. Um, I, I want to tell the story. We were on a, a, a call a couple of weeks ago. It was on like the sales uh, uh, SRP, the sales reporting portal or whatnot. And we're yeah. talking about data and, and I'm, I'm listening. It's like the third time I've heard it. So I'm just kind of like, I was in my car, I was driving and I'm, I'm listening to the background. <laughs> oh, no, actually I was in an Uber. And for those who are watching, like getting motion sickness as I'm sitting in the backseat of an Uber. And um, I mean, we were talking about the data and, and you were like, well, why don't we have SIC codes? 
And somebody was immediately was just like, oh, we don't get that. They don't give it to us. And you were like, why? It was like, so it was just like an immediate, like, yeah, yeah it was, right. it was like, like, because we have these, these, um, assumptions, you know, I guess when you've been in the, the business right. for 15, 20, 30 years, uh, from a leadership standpoint or whatever it is, there's this assumption of like, well, that's just how it's done. And, and not that to say that, you know, you asking why was like revolutionary, yeah. but it was just like, Hey, this is a different approach. Maybe <laughs> like, why not? And then you, I think your follow up was like, well, if we told them what we were going to do with it, maybe they would, would they want to partner with it? It was like, Oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know, sometimes we get a little set in our ways. And I think, you know, I don't think that necessarily has to come with age and time. It's more of a comfort piece, but if you can, you can always challenge people to, to think differently or think and ask that extra question, you know? And I think that's a kind of an, we talk about bringing in new people or bringing in the, the investor group to this thing is that there's, there's a chance for somebody just to ask why. Absolutely. And, and not why, because I think that we're doing it wrong before. It's just yeah. that there might be a better way to do it. And if they say, no, we can never give it to you, shut up, you're not getting SAC codes, it's fine, but we have to ask. Right. right? We have to. <laughs> That's a. Hey, we're going to get it. Isn't that, isn't that sales 101? Like, you, you, you got you to gotta ask the question. Yeah. You got to ask for the order. <laughs> you got to ask. You got to right, yeah. ask. So. Never ask. It's always no. Right. Yeah. That's fair. Right. So I think that, that, to me, that, that's kind of a cool piece. It's like, all right, this is, you know, a chance. And, and, and I think that's a good foundation that runs through is like, hey, let's talk about let's talk collectively as a group about how we can make this better and how how can we think of different avenues or you know again we're not we're not changing course we're not dismantling the car but how do we make it run faster how do we give it that little like a tune what's the chip we put in to make this you know a thousand horsepower whatever that is yeah Um, Yeah, some nitrous oxide in it yeah Yeah. exactly uh so we're four months in uh, you've got you've done the road show. You've toured around. You've you've got the you've got to live out of the suitcase yep. and, and fly along. Like uh, high level, <laughs> what, what do you see? What, what's Michael's vision, or what, you know, what's the what's the vision of how we continue to accelerate growth with this company? I so we talk about this on our monthly calls, but it go it goes down to the three. We have three pillars, right? We have data, we have portfolio, and expansion. So from a data standpoint, data is king, right? It's the most valuable resource in the world. It just displaced oil as being the most valuable resource. We have information in 66,000 end users now, not 61. There's about 1,000 a month, right? So, um, you know, working with the SRP portal, but working with Shiner and working with Chris and Rebecca and our, and our finance team and our data team to really uh, organize our information, allowing us to capture what exists today to identify gaps and growth through that, right? Grow where we already are, grow where we already are winning from a, so that's data, right? We'll talk, we can talk more on that if you'd like, but um, from a portfolio standpoint, prioritizing our time and making sure that we are supporting our SCs in prioritizing their time. And then expansion. Expansion is, is, is this is uh, either geographic or it's industry vertical. So like geographic expand in Canada or Mexico or going out into Europe, whatever that might that might look like um, based on our current portfolio, right? So we look at our current portfolio. We're not going to try and go into construction in the UK. That just doesn't make any sense because we're not in the UK. We're not in the construction. But, um, but from an uh, expansion from an uh, industry standpoint, I mean, there's, think, public safety, maybe electrical, maybe construction. They're all interesting, but each has their own intricacies and details, so measure twice before we're going right. to jump into that space. 
Okay. I mean, that's, that, that's a good way to think about it. You know, I, I, I want to come back and you did like dive a little deeper on this whole data company, you know, line drive is a data company. And that's, uh, I think for some yeah. people, that's a, a little, um, it's a different take, right? We talk about we're a sales organization, we're, sure. consult, we're a consultant, we're, you know, a manufacturer rep. I, I once sat at a party and ex- tried to explain our business for 20 minutes and this lady looks at me, she goes, oh, you're just a manufacturer rep. And I was like, well, I mean, to a, <laughs> to a degree. Well, <laughs> to a degree. But, but you know, thinking about it a little differently and saying we're a data company, you know, you talk about 66,000 end users, you know, how do we leverage that data right. One to help our our distributors and our our manufacturers grow, but how do we use that to help Line Drive grow? Yeah, I mean it's data driven decision making, right? It's our SCs having the full visibility on what's going on in their territory. Where are the trends? How do we execute on that? Who's buying? Who's where is the opportunity for cross sell? Who's one in other territories that can replicate wins here? Being able to share that information easily and visibly. Right, so having that straight out in front of you, we, that, we owe that to our, our team, we owe that to our customers. But you know, what do we do with that from now on? It's, you know, we, can, we know where our A's are, we know where our A's are winning, we know the bundle opportunities, we do a great job of bundle, sell, bundle training, but maybe we add resources internally to help accelerate the bundles. So our SDs are being able to spend more time getting new business opportunities and maybe have our inside sales team complement the uh, outside sales team. It's just being able to find ways to invest in ourselves, um, leading with where, where does, what does the data show? Not gut feel, not I think we should do this, not our competitors doing that. It's what is the industry telling us? Right. I think I was going to ask, you know, like, how does Michael put his stamp on the business? But I, I sort of feel like that is how Michael initially is putting his stamp on the business is really leveraging data and leveraging how we take the, the, the insights we have to go forward. That's right. Yeah, and that's, you know, I don't want to have a stamp on, I mean, it's, it's we're, we're so much greater than myself, right? It's, we're 60-something people, and no one person is so critical of the organization. So I can, if, if I can help the, our, our sales be more effective, our field sales field be more effective with data, our, our portfolio be able to visualize and, and, and find, identify gaps to grow, then that would be, that'd be a success to me. No, I, so that's fair. I, I, I'm not trying to put you up here like a deity. Like it's, it's, uh, no, no, no. You know, I mean, there's no one more important here than me. I mean, we, we understand that. Right. But, I didn't. I didn't don't to step say on. That. Don't you step on my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I, I do think that's important. I'm, I'm a I'm a very strong proponent. Like you talk about, like look, where are we winning, and how do we use those wins to leverage more wins, and how do we? Um, I always ask, how do we, which is so rhetorical, but, you know, actually taking that data and, and saying, you know, and, and using it, leveraging that, you know, we, we talk about the power. One of the things I, I really, um, oh God, this is so bad. One of the things I respect about you is the way that you value what we have as a business. I've heard you talk multiple times, like nobody else has the capacity of what we do. Nobody else has the insights that we do. Right. Nobody else has the reach of what we do. And that, um, you know, I'm a huge believer in that because I, I absolutely see that out there. And I, and I know that when we're operating at um, a high level and we're, 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 you know, firing in all cylinders or whatever we're going to do here, I'm sticking with this car analogy somehow, uh, when we're, we're firing in all <laughs> cylinders, we're really able to perform like no one else. No one offers what we do. No one has that insight like we do. It's just, it's just unparalleled. I can't, right. No one has the scale, right? And no one has the that. Yeah, but we are in a unique position that we need to take advantage of it. Absolutely. Right. So, what are you? Um, what are you most excited about going forward? As we're, we're coming, you know, you're, you're coming into starting twenty twenty. What's it, what's it look like? What are you excited about? I would say I'm most excited about being 
on this podcast again. Okay. My second participant. <laughs> but besides that, besides that, I mean, really just enabling the team, letting the team really kind of spread their wings. I feel that there's a lot of opportunity that they're, they're trying to execute on, that they want to execute on, breaking down the barriers and letting the team really, really thrive and grow. That's, that's what I'm most excited. I'm starting to see it, especially in like our, our field team and our HQ team. We're starting to see more ideas sharing, uh, breakdown of barriers. It's, it's a lot of fun. Right. That's cool. I, I like that. So uh, I always try to end on some personal notes, right? Like, who's Michael the person? You know, like not, uh, not the inside. Okay. So, um, first off, you've got a wonderful wife who is tangentially into the business. I do, yep. You know, she's a... Yep, she's Liz. Yep, yeah. Yep. She's a, she works at, at Danaher, an industrial conglomerate, I guess you could say. We were just talking about this. Like, I don't know how to explain her job or, like, what she does easily. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I was talking with the Reverend Dinner last night, and I was like, I didn't talk to Brian, and I have to explain your background. And she's like, well, I do this, this, and this. I'm like, yeah, I, don't, I still don't get it. So anyway, she works uh, at a pretty big industrial company doing customer service. There you go. Yeah, she, you said she works at a very big industrial company doing customer service, who also, she, you know, that's not, she's not answering the phones. She's, not doing that. She's, she's probably a pretty no. sharp woman in no, her own she, right. <laughs> She is. She's. A, she's. A, she. She just graduated from Harvard with her MBA. She's a sharp woman. She's you know, working up a, a leadership chain at the industrial printer. They print like all the barcodes and things on uh, on all that food equipment and things like that. Again, I. I'm. I'm struggling here, Brian. I'm, all right, that's great. I, I, one, a great one. one. I. I enjoy that you slid a, in. Like, oh, she just got her MBA from Harvard. You know, so that that's kind of cool, and she does this stuff. But I also understand. I think usually the spouses on the other side of Line Drive are the ones who struggle. Like, what does your husband or wife do? And they're like, well, like sales, but they don't actually sell things. But like, they don't make. You know, it's like it's the same thing. So. <laughs> people can relate you know it's always like I'm, i remember meeting spouses when, when we first hired people and they're like what does this company do and you're like, eh. yeah right uh well we're uh you know i think i got it done pretty well i, I love the outsource the outsource sales and marketing partnering with the oems helping right. them leverage their distributor and user relationships that's i love good. it that's so, good so. Uh, but yeah liz is a, a wonderful woman yep she's an engineer by trade um Grew up in grew up in Columbus, and I only say that because I'm a big Michigan fan, and <laughs> Columbus is home to Ohio State. Right. But um, she went to Cincinnati, so she doesn't have that crimson. And I don't know. I, I lived in, in Columbus for three years, and every single person in Columbus will convince you that they went to Ohio State. That's for they, they all have <laughs> best best time to get your shopping done is on a football Saturday. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no one's at the store. They're all right. tailgating. So you got right. so there's Liz and you and the dog. What's the dog's name? The dog Bo, Bo, who's the king of all mutts. I mean, he is the mutt of mutts. We took we did those DNA tests on him. You know the dog DNA kits. Sure. And they're like, damn, I don't even know what this. No, thing. no, it right. just so came like, back like a question six, mark. Yeah. Right. He's like he's everything. He's sixteen or seventeen different breeds. <laughs> oh, that's. He's like, looks like a Frankenstein of a dog. He's a great dog, 70 pound mutt. Like, one leg's one color, one leg's the other color. His chest is three or four different colors. He's, he's a Frankenstein dog. So it, it's the three of you bopping around Chicago, and you guys are, and I'm not to say new to Chicago, but you, you moved basically like during the pandemic, the start of the pandemic. So you've, mm-hmm. you've been in Chicago for a little bit. Uh, what's been good or what's not good about the city? What, do you, what are you loving so far? So I was lucky when we moved here that there was like no traffic 
I know it was on the <laughs> And it was great. Like, I could go downtown. Like, you and I live about a mile away from each other. Right. A mile and a half away from each other. Um, I could drive downtown. I could drive out to Wrigley. It's easy drive. Now it's... The, the thing I hate, and I get everybody talks about how they hate traffic. Right. I have an ira. I know how irrational I am towards my hatred towards Dick Ashcott Woods. He's over. If you or anybody who's on the call with me, when I'm sitting in traffic, it's just I can't. I can't. I can't conceive why traffic exists. All right, so I'll I'll calm <laughs> down. That. There's a lot of good about Chicago. Good, good, sp- good food, good sports. Uh, Cubbies. They're fun to go to a Cubs game. Um, I love trying out new foods. There's always a bunch of different cuisines. It's great. I love it. I love the city. I mean, we're in northern Michigan right now, and like the most exotic food is like a hamburger. Yeah, <laughs> so just, like, <laughs> make sure you get some cherries while you're up there. Don't forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get the cherries. I heard enough about the cherries. I get right, the cherries. I get it. I, I appreciate. I appreciate that. Like you and I are the only like, as I always say, like the real Chicago people that actually like live in the city and and, and do that. So it's. Um, it, it's fun to have somebody around and, and we can chat about, uh, you know, different, like you said, foods, restaurants and stuff and get down by the lake, enjoy the city. People always ask, you know, they're like, how often do you go to the, to, I, what's up? I just heard about Chris, a new restaurant, Korean fried chicken. It's by you. Have you been there? I have not. Chris. Okay. I just heard about it. We were at, yeah, we got to check that one out. I'll check that out. You like fried chicken? I, who does not like fried chicken? I mean, I guess like vegetarians. I, right. But, <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess vegetarians don't. But. G-R-I-S-P. Okay. It's like, it's like right down the road from your house. All right. I'll check that out. Um, besides food and, and hanging out, what are, what are their hobbies that Michael's into? What, what do you do in your free time? Yeah. I, I, I love playing sports. I've played a lot of different sports. I, my, I do that. Like, right now I'm playing out tennis. I give it a year, and if I'm good, I'll keep doing it. If I suck at it, I'll quit. Right. So, um, I love playing sports I've played volleyball I've sailed I've football, obviously and all the, but so I'm always trying out new sports and, uh, cooking. We do, we do like a meal delivery kit to our house so we don't have to like go grocery shopping in the city cause it's a nightmare. And, um, we try out new recipes all the time. It's really fun. That's awesome. Um, I'm I'm a traveler, or at, at one point was a traveler. <laughs> love love to travel. What's uh What's the coolest? And I'm gonna say like not, not necessarily exotic, but like what's the coolest place you've ever been? The coolest place. So, um, we're really lucky. Liz and I are one of our really good friends. He's a photographer, but he's also like a really good travel buddy. And like she lived with him. He's a great great photographer. Great guy. Um, we went to Morocco okay. and we like were in the Sahara desert. We did the whole Airbnb thing, like lived like locals renting Airbnbs in the middle of these alleyways for $25 a day or something. But we did our, we did a, like a full excursion, camels, everything, eating weird foods that I would never want to eat again. It was, I would think that would be like my, my most fun. Trip. We actually took our engagement photos in, in the desert too. It was really cool. Oh yeah, to casually take your engagement photos in the desert of Morocco. It's fine, yeah. like everyone. It was. It That's was. Awesome. I mean, it, we didn't have to pay for them, right? So, like, <laughs> right. so the cost of what you'd have to get photos, you might as well just go to Morocco and. Right? Why not? Why doesn't everybody just do that? Yeah, that's absolutely. Awesome. No, I, I think sometimes, sometimes I think that's, um, that's awesome. Like I say, because you know, people talk about, oh, I've been here or whatever, but sometimes the, the, it's not the place you've gone, but it's more like the experience or, or when, you, when you've gone there, you found something that was just unique and off the beaten path that you know, maybe other people wouldn't see the, the 
I don't want to say it was movie. really, yeah, it was really eye opening for sure. Yeah. How about yourself? What, what about you? Where are some of your places? Um, so my favorite, I was just talking about this yesterday. Like one of our favorite places to go is Uruguay. Oh. And like, you would never think we've been to Uruguay really? three different times. It was, there's a longer story, but it was a, uh, a, an aborted trip that we were supposed to go to Brazil. And there was a whole thing that came up and we ended up in Uruguay and, I was like, well, if we hate it, we'll go home. And we loved it. There's a little town called <laughs> Punta del Este, which is like down on the coast. It's where all the Argentinians go for their beach vacation. And it's amazing. It's this that tiny little awesome. country. And they eat just a crap load of steaks. And they just eat a million really? pounds of meat. And there's beaches and wine and all that <laughs> stuff. And so, yeah, we've, we've been to Uruguay three or four times now. And, and that's, that's my... I don't um, think I knew anybody who's been there. When, when I didn't know where it was when so Ethan first said it, we're sitting in the airport and we had to figure we had to figure out where we were going to go and he's like what about Uruguay and that, that was I was like I don't know where that is and so I'm thinking Europe I don't know yeah, why it's not, yeah it's I next to it's next to, I, I do have a funny story uh, about that so I I was I was uh, when I was at Michigan one of my classmates he just got married and did his honeymoon in um, oh in uh, Granada okay. And so I was like, oh, Granada. He showed me pictures. I'm like, okay, that sounds awesome. So then I get, you know, get home and tell him, I was like, we should go to Granada. It looks great. And we, she's like, okay, that's fine. Um, but it sounds a little odd. So we booked these, I booked the whole trip and we land and we're in Granada, Nicaragua. There's three different Granadas. Did you know that there's three different Granadas? There's uh, a Granada Spain. There's a Granada, which is an island off the coast of like South America. Right. And there's Granada, Nicaragua, which is not the Granada that my friend <laughs> went to. So we land in Nicaragua and we're like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> we were there for a week with our friend who's also the photographer, but we found some cool shit to do, but it was not where I was supposed to go. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can always, you can, that, that one, that's amazing. Like, I like that you booked an entire vacation off the wrong city. That, that's fantastic. Yeah, wrong country. Wrong country. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a, that's, that sort of parallels the time that we ended up in Chile and getting tear gassed at dinner and chased down the street by like mobs and stuff like that. So we still had fun. It was great. There was, yeah. a, there was a sense of danger and, you know, like just overall uneasiness. But, you know, you find the, you find the joy in whatever. It's a great story, though, right? That's a great story. That, that's always getting tear gas. Yeah, that, that's you always, haven't lived until you've gotten. Tear you have not. You really, yeah, you really that, don't. You know. um, that's that's always say. You know, like, I'm, I always say, like, well, <laughs> this is there's a story behind this. <laughs> you know, <it's... laughs> so on that note, um, thank you for for joining us and giving us this insight. Uh, I really appreciate. it. I will have you back on, of course, when we get to season two. We're going to take a little you hiatus. Um, we, after right. we come back, we will have Michael back on to give that, that six-month, eight-month insight and, and really figure out, we have all this data, what are we doing with it? I really, I really appreciate it, and thank you for doing this. I mean, these are, these are great. Let's everybody in our company kind of get a chance to meet each other, and uh, I really love these, so thanks for doing it. I appreciate you being my biggest fan. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> besides Oprah, remember that. Right, besides Oprah. <laughs> Take care, Michael. Yeah. All right, joining me uh, for our continued subject of Get to Know a Newbie, we've got from SoCal, the man himself, David Campos. David, how are we today? 
I'm doing great, Z. Thank you very much for inviting me to your uh, podcast here. Uh, Pretty it's a, excited. Too. America's yeah. number one. Uh, America's number one rated podcast. Please, please uh, give it the yeah, respect. Right. You, 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 uh, you took over uh, for uh, what's his name? Uh, Joe Rogan. Rogan? Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but since Joe, how timely this is? Since Joe Rogan's out with COVID, I'm now the number one podcast out there. <laughs> there you check, go. Check me on Apple Pods and Spotify. Top top ten. Um, no, but thanks for joining us. I know as we've gone around and, and, you know, every episode we're trying to get to know some of the new people, uh, excited to have you on board. I believe you're coming into month four, uh, in yep. month four. All right. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, give us, a, give us a little background. Cause you, um, this isn't your first industrial supply rodeo. No, actually, uh, I embarked on the MRO industry, uh, with, uh, Granger. I was with Granger for about almost six years. I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that most of us have. <laughs> and uh, from there, um, I was tapped on the shoulder by Phillips, Phillips Lighting. Uh, the gentleman was uh, retiring after 38 years of being with them, and he vouched for uh, for me on his role. And um, I went over there for seven years, and uh, then I made the move over here to uh, Line Drive, and I'm pretty excited to be here. Following in the footsteps of someone who's been there for 30, 30 plus years, is that like frightening? Or are you just like, hey, I figured this guy's on cruise control, so any effort's going to make it make an improvement? <laughs> no, I, I was actually kind of nervous because um, by that point, uh, all the brass at uh, Phillips had worked with him going up, uh, you know, going mm-hmm. up the ranks. Um, so definitely I was a little bit nervous, but um, he put in a lot of good words um, and um, he was accessible. He gave me encouragement and uh Going into a technical um, type of job, it was a little bit uh, intimidating, but, um, you know, that's why we have Google. <laughs> Did we have Google? I guess we had Google back then. Google's a yeah. Google. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so talk to me a little bit about that, because having come from Granger back many, many decades ago, um, you right. know, you come from being like a generalist, you know, and I think my favorite answer was, I'm sure we've got it, let me look, to now you're yeah. the guy to know the specific, you know, knowing lighting, there's very... Uh, you know, not very technical. There's certainly a technical aspect of it. How how was that transition? And did you, you know was it tough or was it something that you enjoyed? Uh, no, it wasn't tough. I actually enjoyed it very much. Uh, I love technology. I, I love learning about it and and um, dazzled by it. Um, like I said, I, I did do uh, my own research and to seeing um, what other um, companies were doing or what my very own company was doing in Europe, since they are based in Europe. And um, just seeing all the technology that they had in Europe, but we didn't have it in the States yet, really fascinated me. And, and I was eager to see it come into the United States. California actually threw a little bit of a wrench into it with all the uh, special provisions that we have here, like Title 24, Title 20, uh, getting to know those legislations and uh, being prepared to answer the questions mm-hmm. with contractors and distributors. Okay. Yeah, I guess it definitely. I know in the lighting world, it's every two years you've got a whole new technology and, and energy efficiency and, and all that piece. Oh, try try every every three months. There's <laughs> a they make a lamp more efficient by one watt or two watts, and everything, all the skews go out the door. Yeah, that's fun. Question mark. So thinking about that, so you you went from being a, a broad generalist, millions of products, down to you know a single category. Now that you're at Line Drive, um, mm-hmm. how has that been different? What you know, what, what's your takeaway so far? Well, uh, kind of used to it, um, especially coming from Granger. I drove my numbers at Granger. The number one was safety. Mm. Um, so I always gravitated towards safety, and I know this is pretty cliche when um, when I say. 
I would always tell people, hey, you can't put a price on safety and bringing people back home to their families. It's very much true. Um, something that, um, my, you know, my father was a, a, a steel worker. So I know um, he wore a harness. I know that, um, you know, PPE was important. And I know that others around him that weren't fortunate enough to have uh, laws in place or, mm. you know, um, consultants like us point, pointing things, things out to employers, you know, they became ill from, you know, the fumes or, or what, you know, whatever it may be. So it's something that, that I hold dearly. Okay, so that that safety background, I guess, it runs a, a nice current throughout your your life. Not only growing up, but as as well as other roles, right? Yeah. So uh, managing all these different manufacturers and working with uh, a broad group of distributors, which you did before, so that that's probably like riding a bike. But you've been here four months. What's one of the most important things you've learned so far, and how to be successful? Um. Honestly, is really reaching out to your um, manufacturers, being completely honest with them. Um, I always have the conversations of the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I lay it all out on the table, and they appreciate that. And I always you know, I always say that we're, we can only be as good as the support that we're getting from the manufacturers. And, uh, and uh, that's pinnacle for me. I mean, they, they have to be there for me, and they are. And um, I've, I've actually formulated some pretty solid relationships in just four months, like with the guys from Fluke, uh, MCR, um, on a higher level, you know, with their mm-hmm. national accounts presence, um, you know, just uh, distributors. I mean, I, I never thought outside of Granger before um, with air gas and uh, everybody else. And, and I'm formulating some good friendships now. That's awesome. It's, it's good when, when, uh, you know, works fun and you, and you get to, to enjoy being around the people you're working with. Um, I do what I was going to say, like, actually, what a great point. And you, you made a good point that, you know, as far as engaging with manufacturers and or really anybody that, you know, if you start giving up hot garbage, people tend to tune out pretty quickly. And if these are people that you need to help and be an asset, you know, you've got to be upfront with them and you've got to, you know, make them want to engage and, and consider you a resource instead of somebody who's just giving them hot air. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, 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 you know, I, I just um, set a foundation um, as far as my relationship with the manufacturers to the point where I can even joke around with them now. Uh, I mean, we all make mistakes. I've made them, uh, mistakes during Never. presentations. <laughs> and, you know, I, I did tell, you know, one of the manufacturers, hey, make sure you have a battery charged. <laughs> you know, they just chuckled. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, it's good. It's good. And I, I, and I think the uh, relationships with, with them will go on. Uh, for a very long time here. Oh, that's great. Um, I was to say, you know, what, one of the fun parts about the job is is meeting customers and getting out and meeting those end users. You and I were together a few months ago, and uh, we were at one of the UC campuses, and it was one of those classic classic guy rolls in and just starts spouting off and swearing. I thought, you know, I was like, oh, here we go. And, and you, you I, I was ready to get real rude with him, and I think you you handled it well. So, you know, working with customers, what's been what's been fun so far? Any uh, any interesting personalities or, or customers or end users you've worked with? Yeah, I actually enjoy those uh, type of scenarios where we have those difficult customers because you know what? At the end, they end up being your your biggest champion. I mean, I, I I've dealt with Kenny before. We were wearing a mask because of COVID, so we didn't mm-hmm. really recognize each other. But when when I told him, hey, you know, you and I have dealt before, and remember lighting, and he said, well, why are you bringing the lighting guy in for right, safety? Right. And that's when I told him, hey, lighting is security and safety. You know that. He didn't say anything back to that, but. Yeah, you know, uh, he's he's a 
He's a champ. Um, we we fi finalized the um, ladder um, inspections, and uh, now he's giving us an opportunity to go in there with Fluke with the uh, new solar meters that they have. And so, you know, he's a he's a loud guy, but you know, I, I know that he's going to be one of our biggest champions. But he respects you. Yes. Yeah. It's absolutely. Like, it's, like, it's like prison rules. You got to go in. You got to take that bully on first. Day. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, one of the things I, I had to ask you. You talk about working with, working at Granger, and, and one of the people you worked with at Granger, uh, someone that many of us know, named Dudley Callahan. Uh huh. And you know, as he serves as, as your sales director, I'm surprised you still came to work for us. Oh no, not at all. Um, <laughs> I'm just yeah, no. Uh, uh, Dudley, uh, he's a good guy. Um, I've known him since the days back in, at Granger. Um, he came in um, maybe as I was there for about four years, and then uh, we spent uh, three years um, working within the same region, but different um, um, manufacturing versus uh, the hybrid role. I had a hybrid role. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I knew of Dudley, and uh, um, I knew he was uh, he's always been the uh, very uh, connected within the organizations. He knows who's who. He knows how to navigate the uh, the corporate um, lattice. And um, when he reached out to me and I knew he was here, and then I asked very candid and, and pointed questions. And um, I liked what I heard. And I did my research, of course. And I did, you know, have some context within the manufacturers sure. and, and got the feedback and great things. And um, by far, it's, it's exceeded it, if, if that. And... Um, very happy here. You're like, yeah, I can come in and take this territory over and, and watch it grow. No, no, no issues. I can, <laughs> I can outsell Dudley. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in, you're in LA, but that's like a, it's a broad scope. Where in LA are you at? Santa Monica, the Inland Empire, Orange County, the Valley. Where, where's David really based out of? I'm in the suburb, which is located east, northeast of uh, downtown LA. It's known as the San Gabriel Valley. Okay. Uh, to be more specific, uh, West Covina, California. Um, so it gets super hot. It gets uh, <laughs> yeah, we got no breeze coming in here. I mean, it, it's my my Southern California Edison bill proves it. You're just down in so, the valley, sweating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty hot here. Um, I wish I could move back to something that gets me a breeze. Like my dad lives in Temecula. He gets that that breeze coming in. And it, it's that's something worthwhile. Some, something to aspire for. Wind. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it. So tell us about a little bit of your your family. What's what's the home life like? Okay, so um, single parent. I have uh, two daughters. I have a twenty four year old who just uh, recently graduated last year. Was it? Gosh, it's kind of yes. hard to tell with COVID nowadays. <laughs> uh, she graduated from uh, San Diego State University, um, and my youngest is. 16 she just turned 16 in august and she is a junior at st paul high school now yeah. you, you and i have talked your daughter is your daughter's living every parent's scholarship dream so uh do share what's her what's her big hobby she plays golf she's been playing golf for now five years um she just took it like a duck to water um i mean to the point where Whatever it took me 10 years to figure out in golf, she did it in a matter of about a month. So, um, you know, 
it was fun playing golf with her before. Not anymore. She, she's just, <laughs> now she take now she take all your money. You're like great. She runs the table, right? <laughs> what, what, what's it like watching kids? Like I'm, I'm trying to imagine. Like, do you like follow them around? Do you set up like they have a big gallery set up like on the 18th hole, and you watch them come in, <laughs> or is it just, just yeah. trudging along? Yeah, initially I did, you know, walk the gallery to see her play. But as she got more and more competitive, um, I did notice that there was a sense of like nervousness, me being around her. So I took a step back. And now and because of that reason, they developed this app with the uh, SEPGA called the Live Board. So parents have their um, iPads or, you know, their computers up. And it's actually a leaderboard that will go ahead and give you an update of what the score looks like hole by hole. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So everybody's uh, chilling out at the clubhouse having a beer. <laughs> Not having to trudge through the heat, just watching a screen. Exactly. That's good. Maybe that's, maybe I can get my kid into golf so I can just hang out. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, it's it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome experience. And, and um, you know, golf really um, teaches them a lot about life. Um, it's not just a game. It's uh, an etiquette. And uh, I saw an interview with uh, Gary Player, one of the uh, best golfers uh, ever. And he said that um, he was a little bit disturbed that young people would walk by, not even say hello, shake their hand. He's like, what happened in those days? But he noticed that, you know, kids that were involved with golf would take their hat off, shake their his hand and look at him in, in his eyes and say, hey, uh, hello, uh, Mr. Player, how, how are you doing? Or knowing the etiquette of taking off your hat as you walk into the clubhouse hmm. or even church, so those type of lessons are what they learn out on the on the golf course and with with these programs. Most of the time, they teach you not to chuck your club into the lake or anything. Like oh that. yeah, oh <laughs> yeah. Also, do oh. not do that. Yeah, then, then at that point, take up something else. <laughs> right. So you you live in this SoCal lifestyle. I mean, every day is a vacation for you. Um, besides golf, what is uh, what's your downtime like? What do you what do you do to relax? Um, you know, the pandemic actually, uh, had me discover woodworking. Hmm. So, um, during the pandemic, you know, I'm a, a do it yourself guy around the house when I, you know, I, I need to fix something at the house, but, um, I started looking at cornhole on ESPN because there were no sports on, <laughs> on, on, during the, the pandemic. So I was bored and I was watching these guys toss this bag 27 feet across and landing on the board. And I said, man, how, how hard can that be? So I looked it up on YouTube and I saw this guy was making one. I went to Home Depot, bought the wood. I have all the gear here. And um, I I did it. I, I built the cornhole and I stained it. And, and I put the lacquer, like four, four uh, um, layers of lacquer. And boy, when that bag hits that board, it's like it, something hit ice. It just slapped. <laughs> oh, so you, you've got the hardboards. So, Oh, yeah. So now I know what they're talking about. So I got into it. And that's what I actually do now. It's, um, you know, my friends will tell me, hey, make me one for the Raiders, which I hate the Raiders. <laughs> like, All right, I'll All make you one. Yeah. Nice. I like I like a little side hustle of making cornhole uh, boxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. So um, I got to ask you to wrap this up. What is your favorite freeway to sit in traffic on? Is it the 10, the 5, the 101? I would say the five. The five every day, hands down. The, it, the OG. Yeah, the five. It, it's it's closer to at least some um, form of uh, heat relief. You, know, you get the coast by there. <laughs> but you, the 101 is the valley. I mean, you see Hollywood, but it's too hot. It's too hot. That's favorite. Um, yeah. 
Cool. Well, thank you for for joining us. Uh, glad to have you as part of the Line Drive team, and uh, look forward to hearing more about the uh, future LPGA champion uh, in your daughter. Oh, thank you very much, and thank you very much for having me, and uh, look forward to future interviews. Absolutely. Well, that's our show. Another fresh look into the workings of Line Drive. Thanks to you all for listening. What what a great episode. And I really want to say thanks to Michael and David for joining the pod this week. Make sure that you subscribe on your favorite pod hosting platform and tell all your friends and coworkers to listen. I want to give a sincere shout out to the one and only TM, one of my biggest fans. Thanks for your support and kind words. Certified Fresh is a line drive production. Surprising every guest, recording comes from the totally professional Line Drive Chicago studio. Your host and executive producer is me, Brian Zamania. And our amazing technical producer is Amy Struckmeyer.